everybody. In South Africa today, in fact the whole of Southern Africa, which includes Zimbabwe, Botswana, Swaziland, Mozambique and Angola, we all jointly faced with a unique set of serious problems, all of which are having a major impact on the daily lives of the locals. This problem involves a range of very basic issues, which embrace the following. Quite simply, the availability of fresh drinking water, reliable electrical power, and basic needs food production for both human and animal consumption. Then, thinking further down the line, we need to address some chronic ongoing employment issues, which embrace inter alia the following. Technical training. In other words, apprentices in the various trades for example, electricians, fitters, plumbers, and boilermakers, and so on. This is an extremely worrying aspect of life today, when you consider the high level of unemployment, which in South Africa alone is now well over 6 million souls. Over a long period of time, this has kept me thinking about possible solutions. And over that period, I've come up with what I call, somewhat euphemistically, the JUMP project which stands for Join Us Making Progress. I want to give you a rundown so that you understand this issue comprehensively and the possible solution, not just one solution, there are many to consider. And I've been cogitating about this over a number of years. But can this approach make a difference to the escalating levels of unemployment in South Africa? I originally looked at this concept about six years ago in the middle of the Cape and Eastern Province water crisis, but now something of even more alarming has hit the headlines in the past few weeks. Severe declines have recorded in the trades, manufacturing and utility sectors as a result of severe power cuts. People who have stopped looking for work consist of a shocking 39% and youth unemployment is a staggering 58%. Those are the recent accurate statistics. But let's get back to the water crisis alone for the moment. The news then further back was that the water crisis in South Africa after hitting the Western Cape has now alarmingly extended to the Eastern Cape and the situation is deepening in severity daily as dam levels across the province dropped drastically, with numerous towns at risk of running out of water completely. This problem will not simply go away, and bigger, innovative thinking is required now. In that area, the Kuha municipality has already indicated that at least two inland towns, called Hanke and Potensi, face water shedding, whilst the Nelson Mandela Bay the old Port Elizabeth at the coast is now faced with considering fewer, further punitive water restrictions. The combined dam capacity of the Algo water supply system, which supplies this area, has dropped to its lowest ever level of just 26%, dropping nearly 1% in just one week. And the previous lowest combined level for the Algo system was during the drought of 2010, with combined capacity was recorded at 31%. Crisis, of course, but out of all of this, there lies 
an amazing opportunity. And it just brings to light how jobs have become the real pincher for our future in Southern Africa. So here's a bit of a background how I think this can be done. And it needs leadership, innovation and creativity. Which, if one has to have an example, it can follow the lead of the highly successful 193-kilometer Suez Canal way back in 1869. They did it then. And the Panama Canal in August 1914. I've got some relatives that stay nearby. And the place is booming. Now, let me paint a mind picture for you of what I envisage a 100% South African canal system. In fact, system which will change everything for the better, forever. No water problems, no unemployment. You don't believe me? Let me give you the facts and then you can make up your own mind. The coastline of South Africa is some 2,500 kilometers long, stretching from Alexander Bay, if you look at the map on the left-hand side, just south of Namibia, and then sweeping anti-clockwise around the South African coastline, right up to Cozy Bay in northern KwaZulu-Natal, which is just bordering on Mozambique. Now, if we were to establish 10 coastal stations along this coastline, 250 kilometers apart, each station would present a wonderful, indeed stunning business opportunity, leading to many thousands, if not millions of jobs and opportunities for every man, woman and child in the country. At first and initially, the concept appears to be mind-boggling. But actually, if you think about it carefully, the idea is simple. So, let us start on our cultural journey from the Namibian border, moving down the west coast, going past Port Nolith and stopping at a small fishing village called Hornetclub Bay. There's a rock that looks like a dog there. We find a small settlement of just 540 people where the main occupations are dedicated to fishing and tourism. And the closest town inland is Springbok. A little bit of history here. Many years ago, Hornetclub Bay was used as a harbour to export copper ore from the mines around Springbok. But it was later surpassed by Port Nollis, which had a safer harbour as well as direct railway line. I know a little about copper mining because I was a mine manager of a fairly big copper mine up in um, southern Rhodesia, Zimbabwe as it's called now. Now today, Hornetclub Bay is a popular regional holiday destination. It's just seven hours north of Cape Town and serves the fishing and diamond mining community. Of historical interest, at the mouth of the Spuch River, located just 18 kilometers down the coast from Hornetclub Bay, there are caves of archaeological interest connected to the Khoisan people. Makes it very interesting to go and have a look there. But that very small industry is only the start of something very exciting the germ of everything about to start, which has the potential of setting the jobs market alight across the country, the whole of South Africa, and further north as well. So if we are conservative and just start with the abalone, another opportunity presents itself. In fact, a wealth of opportunities, which ideally would complement one another. But how can we kick this project off? Here's the outline of the plan. At Honoklip Bay, we need to commence right at the coast, 
by excavating a canal going inland. Now whilst we're doing that, we can simultaneously extract the salt from the sea, the seawater in situ, right there. Now that salt that we get out of there must be stockpiled because it's going to be used at a later date for the generation of clean electrical power, fact, which incidentally is already being done successfully in the USA. I checked that, it is being done. The next step is to plant a variety of a plant, what is called salicornia, which has been grown very successfully in other parts of the world, particularly where there is poor rock soil not normally suitable for traditional crops. The research has shown that a professor Carl Hodges distinguished himself by growing successfully in the deserts of Northeast Africa years ago, near the Red Sea. So this is not unusual. Carl Hodges was an American atmospheric physicist and the founder of the Seawater Foundation. He is the main driving force behind the ideas using sea canals to irrigate deserts. That's what we need. Salicornia, the plant again. It's a genus of succulent, halophyte, which means it's salt tolerant. The plants that grow in salt marshes, on beaches, and amongst the mangroves. And Salicornia species are native to North America, Europe, South Africa, and South Asia. Now, common names for this genus include glasswort and pickleweed. Indeed, the main European species is often eaten, called marsh samphire in Britain. It's a dish in a restaurant. And the main North American species is occasionally sold in grocery stores or appears on restaurant menus, usually as sea beans or samphire greens. However, apart from being a delicacy, there are many other uses for this plant because it can be used to manufacture jet fuel flour for baking, and even facial oils for the ladies, maybe for the gents, not sure about that, but anyway. NASA, National Aeronautic, Aeronautic Space Agency, is already working on the jet fuel aspect. Yes, they're working on that. So this opens another door. We can become independent of very expensive sources of fuel out South Africa, and the value is the fuel price that we all know about. Next step. Now we get into the planting of bamboo. Bamboo. And again, this can be used for a huge variety of applications, which include the manufacture of certain varieties of clothing, flooring, roofing, and household food and furniture. I've seen clothing in Woolworths from, made from bamboo. Beautiful jerseys, beautiful socks. And there are probably many as yet unexplored other applications that can be used for as well. Jerseys and socks can be made from in our country, restoring many of the clothing industry jobs previously lost in the Western Cape due to cheap, low-quality imports. Rubbish. Falls apart when you look at it. Next comes the plant of commercial hemp or marijuana. Marijuana, daha. This is particularly exciting in South Africa right now because, coupled with the fact that there is a strong move to legalize the use of the derivatives of this plant, mainly for the treatment of cancer, is the number of jobs that will be generated. It is important to remember that the sale of medical marijuana, medical marijuana, has already become a legal product in 24 United States states. The first of which was Colorado, took the lead. Now, all this is just 
touching some of the products that one could grow or manufacture in situ. However, moving from the products and going inland now, we can consider the excavation of canals and establishing canal stations further inland, which then lends itself to a form of barge transport, which is very common in other parts of the world, but not yet in Southern Africa. If this was done, it would then lead to a huge boat or barge construction business made from locally grown bamboo. Expensive railway lines can be avoided or run in parallel using high-speed trains instead of airways. Now this in turn leads us to the job market and this means that each of the products above has a spin-off in that one would require labor to perform just about every aspect from the planting to the construction and onto the marketing. And as to the canals, and I say canals because there will be at least nine more units, one every 250 kilometers, developed around the perimeter of the South African coast. Okay, I said 2,500 kilometers, one every 250 kilometers, which will then start snaking their way inland. And this again will lend itself to a web of totally new and a form of cheap and viable transport across the country, which everybody can use. Each unit, when it is established, will become the foundation of technical colleges, technical schools, whatever you'd like to call them, for the training of farmers, millwrights, electricians, plumbers, and many as yet unthought of occupations required for each one of the steps mentioned above. They're all required. They're not going to go redundant. Not like computers going to take us on another journey. All of the work involved will, by its very nature, be environmentally friendly, and importantly, there will be no talk of mining or fracking. That will go away. No destroying the environment or killing of animals. In fact, it will be people and animal friendly, nature friendly, across the spectrum. Finally, and this is the most important benefit for all of us in Southern Africa, each one of the units would be peopled by millions of South Africans across the spectrum. And the number of jobs that will become available will benefit the country for hundreds of years to come. What more can one ask than this? Think about it. Kef.